This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstiles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into signed sports memorabilia, if you're into signed wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got an array of stuff from all the major sporting leagues, any nerd culture type of thing you want from comic books, like I said, wrestling memorabilia, sports memorabilia, you name it, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide even better. They update daily. So please visit firstrow.ca. And if you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, NBA Jam, Splunky, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs. Anything you need or want, it is there. But the easiest thing, the best thing to do to support the show is please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is an assistant director who has worked on TV shows and movies such as Kingdom, Dave, Barry, Transformers, and Step Brothers, to name just a few. He is the co-founder of Macroverse, Adam Martin. Yep. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, thank you, Adam. Thank you for being here. See, and anything attached to verse, you already know what people are thinking, right? So it's you sort of have to pause and you're like, uh, no, it's Macroverse. <laughs> macroverse. No, no, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's funny because Stephen King actually has this whole like Macroverse set up with the creatures from it tied in like it's it's oh, there's yeah. a Stephen King universe which technically is the macroverse but it's nothing associated with us obviously we, we just like the scope of the whole idea <laughs> yes and before we get to the macroverse and all the fun stuff there that's attached to it I'm Nate I said it off the top assistant director 
my yes. friend, how did you get into entertainment? Because it's always fascinating to me how people get into entertainment. What was your first steps? Were you always an assistant director? Like, what's your origin stories? Origin stories, that whole stuff. It's it's funny, right? Because I think it's 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 honestly been a series of lucky accidents, and I feel like that kind of works for so much of life. So <laughs> I was I was very fortunate. My mother was a film critic uh, ah, growing up, so okay. we would watch. Endless movies. I think I saw my first like Ingmar Bergman movie at the age of nine or something. Oh, wow. Just way too fucking early to do that. Like it was completely <laughs> crazy, right? Right. No, no reason to do that at all. But I did. I grew up kind of really uh, inundated with with entertainment as a as a culture. My stepfather was a novelist. My brothers are writers as well. Okay. Um, nice. So I was, you know, growing up and I got a, I got a physics degree of all ridiculous things, physics and philosophy, and didn't really know what I was going to do. And my, uh, my, one of my brothers, who's 12 years older than me at the time, or sorry, he is still 12 years older than me, but at the time <laughs> he was coming out of USC. Right. And, um, he literally said, look, I, he was directing and writing something at that point. He said, come to LA. It's really fun. I think you'll enjoy it. And so I did a student exchange program for a summer and I hooked up on, I was director's assistant on this terrible movie called Runaway Car, okay. which was like speed, but in a Dachshund. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, but it was, you know, this is 25 years ago and, and it was non-union. So I ended up doing all this crazy stuff. Gotcha. And it was just, it was just very busy and loved everything about it. Like I'd always loved movies, but I never thought of it as a, viable career sure. in a funny way and coming off that I was like wait this is awesome and the first assistant director on that movie was John Frankenheimer's first AD so mm. like Manchurian Candidate Ronan right. George Wallace Grand Prix like wow. legendary director and he was gearing up to do a movie called George Wallace for TNT and we hit it off and he said look if you can figure out how to come back into the country I'll make you a PA on this movie and we figured it out somehow. I don't remember what we did. And um, I came back and I met my wife on that movie. Oh, wow. um, we hooked up at the rap party and we got married three months later. And that was 26 years ago. So, That's awesome. and so then I was there. I was like, I, I just love making movies. I love being on set. I love this process. Um, let's go. And, and kind of worked my way up as a PA for four years. And then as a second, second AD, you join the Directors Guild with a certain number of days as a production assistant. And you start as like a second, second assistant director. And then you graduate to a key second assistant and graduate okay. to a first assistant. Uh, and so I you know, just kind of worked my way up that ladder slowly over the subsequent, I don't know, 15 years or so. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been lucky enough to be first AD now for seven or eight years on a, on some amazing projects with some amazing people. I'm just incredibly lucky to have had the career I have. Oh my God, that sounds so cool. And yes, I want to touch more on your movie and TV career, but as they say, let's get to the meat and potatoes, the macroverse. So how does someone in entertainment transition over to creating this app, this I don't even know how to describe, like, how do you describe the macro? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's an app. I know you go there to get entertainment, but what do you label it as? Right. I mean, we consider Macroverse to be really a new media entertainment company, like okay. first and foremost. Like, so yes, our focus is comics, but we see that as the first step towards building this kind of media empire, gotcha. um, to be honest. And, you know, it's, it, we got into comics. So backing up, I was 
I learned to read on Asterix. Like, I don't know if that's, if you, you know that especially, but like literally those were what taught me to read. Right. So I've kind of been, I've had a love for comics on some level since I was four. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And then when I was at boarding school at the age of nine, I hated fucking boarding school, but <laughs> the comic shop was my like relief from that whole thing. Sure. And I would go and it was just in England and the Marvel stuff didn't interest me in the slightest, but 2000 oh. AD um, was weekly. You got like, as opposed to the kind of Marvel books where you bought like one thing and it was like sure. Captain America or it was Thor, it was whatever right. that was, right? 2000 AD was this weekly compendium and there were maybe four, five, six different stories about different people in there okay. of three, four, five pages each. So you got this much more kind of, it was like the old classic serialized stories in magazines, like Dickens started writing for it. Right. Um, and so I would go and judge Dread and Rogue Trooper and Strontium Dog and nice. all these, these kind of characters that I grew up with, yeah. most of which weirdly enough, as a kind of slightly weird geeky kid in a boarding school that I didn't like, like <laughs> there were these outsiders who kind of aspired to greatness, right? They was like, okay, this is me in comic form. I just started collecting from there, loved comics, and then developed a taste of Batman or whatever else. But I think for both my partner and my business partner, Evan Matthews and I, we became friends and then started writing together. And we realized we had had some success as writers. So we got, you know, we kind of you know, sold a couple of, uh, but we sold the script and we got some stuff optioned. And we got to, but what we realized was we're making stuff for other people. And even in the best case scenario, 99 times out of 100, if we sell a script, it's going to sit there gathering dust on someone's shelf in the right. background, right? Or it's going <laughs> to, now it's going to sit there on someone's hard drive. So we were just like, wait, we love comics. We worked our way back into it because Evan managed to get the rights to, if you've ever seen the movie The Boondock Saints, yes, do you remember that movie? Of course, called and Classic. Two, right? Fantastic movie. We did a comic book series that bridged the gap between movie one and movie two. Oh, cool. And that led us back in the comics and where we did the comic on circuits with like, with um, Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus. And we did, so we, and we had the line, it was great. Like we had a really good time doing that, Nice, but it also really highlighted the issues. This was 12, 14 years ago now, I guess, highlighted the issues with the traditional comics business. And so, we were struggling to make our inroads with a title that was established. Like, mm -hmm. how the hell does this work if you're an independent creator? Um, so having kind of worked our way back into comics through the Boondock Saints, we felt like we love this medium and we feel like, as opposed to just writing scripts and trying to send them out and sell them and play that game, why don't we make these things as comics? Like, at least that way, people will enjoy them. We can get them out of the marketplace. We'll see what works, see what doesn't work, see what resonates. Right. Um, it's a pretty low cost to entry. Like, it's just this thing. And we figured that digital was the future, but we also didn't like the comicsology kind of PDF on an iPad that okay. they had going. Um, and we didn't like the Webtoons, this kind of perpetual scroll thing that Webtoons does. And Webtoons is incredibly successful. I don't want to get anything away from them. But we felt like there was a better version of this that would work for mobile. And mm -hmm. so we developed our tap story, which is very simply like you tap on one side of the screen, you go forward, you tap on the other side, you go back. Yeah. It's super simple. Exactly. But that adds the element of time and of the ability to do dialogue in really interesting ways. And so suddenly these scripts that we had, we didn't have to pare down quite as much. We could do them in the same. 
and it just kind of grew from there. And then we basically figured, look, if we like this format, other people are going to too. Right. Started going out, talking to a bunch of creators, recruiting a bunch of people, and uh, it kind of took off from there. And and it's you know we've got now what a hundred plus creators that we've been working with. We've got wow. fifty series on the app, hundreds of episodes, new episodes hitting every week. Um, and you know, really kind of digging in and, and building, building, starting this uh, this fall, this uh, spring. It's exciting stuff. See, and that's what I love. See, a lot of people put down digital because, yeah, we come from generation physical stuff, right? We love it. The smell, yes. the texture, everything, it. right? But no, no, the, the, the joy of holding a book in your hands, yes, nothing like it. But the one good thing about digital, you don't have to wait until the full comic's complete. Like you said, you drop episodes, yes. right? So you yes. get more exactly. in a short period of time. Yes, and the distribution of like you know most people the way people and I hate I hate putting it in these terms but I think it's appropriate in this way it's like the most people people consume consume content quote unquote is digitally they're, of course they're reading stuff online yep. they're looking at stuff on the iPhone so that's the native device for the vast majority of people now so as opposed to kind of fighting swimming against the tide and fighting tooth and nail to change people's habits it's like well no let's Let's meet them where they are. If we've got global distribution in people's hands, mm-hmm. let's tap into that. That's not to say that we don't want to do the printed books, because absolutely that's part of the strategy. It's not that we don't want to do these other outlets, but right. let's cover all the bases as opposed to restricting ourselves to one or the other. You know. So who came up with the name Macroverse? And was there any other names in the running? <laughs> Very good question. So yes, initially, so I have to give uh, Evan, my partner, full credit for that. He came up with Macroverse. Okay. He came up with the logo. Like he comes from a graphic design. So I'm ah. Hollywood through and through. Like I say, after <laughs> I did my physics degree and I left, like I've been in physical and physical production my whole career. Right. Evan comes from. He thought he was going to be a comic artist. Oh. He came out of RISD, had his own uh, advertising and branding agency for a while. Like so, he comes from the graphic design nice. world and is an absolute genius in that respect. Like absolutely brilliant. He came up with Macroverse. We were called M2 Action, so his last name was Matthews, my last name is Martin, to a, like, M2. That, that kind of works, right? right? So we kind of developed our initial company around that, and then we wanted something that felt a little more expansive, and uh, Macroverse, I don't know, just sounded good, rolled off the tongue, uh, to his credit. Yeah. No, it is. So, now, any other names in the running? So... It was Macronim for a while was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, you know, uh, we had tried like M2Verse, M-squared, um, a few kind of iterations on that. Um, but Macroverse was really the first one that kind of completely grabbed us both. Uh, we just felt like, yes, this is it. So we're kind of Macroverse Media is our company and then we actually were able to acquire both Macroverse.com and Macroverse on Twitter. So we were just kind of oh, established, perfect. hopefully established ourselves just as Macroverse period. Like I say, with, with some homage play to uh, Stephen King. No, of course. Okay, so can anyone submit anything to the Macroverse? Like, or do you have your so-called, just your own authors that you have signed or whatnot? Uh, how, how, how does this all work? Yeah, no, we're looking for for creators. Like, it's part, it's a okay. huge part of why we started this. Was you know we we felt like independent comics creators, very specifically, were uh, 
either you had webtoons which was kind of youtube or there was the print market which was incredibly restrictive and so we felt like what's the kind of hbo version of this how do we how do we provide distribution and then how do we help monetize that for the creators that come on i think that's part of the issue with webtoons is you can have you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers and or followers on that platform and be making basically nothing it's very very hard to monetize on that whereas for us what we do is having been what we are still creators ourselves we approach every deal from the point of view of how would we feel if we were sitting across from this as creators and if we like it we'll we'll do that obviously we're running a business we have to take take those things (laughs) into, into, into consideration right but fundamentally we approach it as a creator so it's like great if we would like this, we think other people would too. So for us, yeah, anyone who wants to come in, we're looking at submissions. We have, There is a certain selection process. We want okay. to make sure the kind of quality bar is very high. Well, of course, yeah. Um, Makes sense. We're introducing, actually, we're getting close to rolling out the perpetual scroll as well so that if people feel more comfortable with that format, they can do that on our app as well. Yes. Um, and then we, because we're a subscription base, we basically split our subscriber our subscription revenue in half. Half goes into the creator pool, half goes to the company. Okay. And the creator pool is simply divided up amongst based on readership percentage. So it's like, great, if you Makes sense. Do you have this show, that this project that's great and it's doing really, really well, and you have 50% of the readers this month <laughs> um, read your series, great, half that creator pool goes to you. And then the rest gets divided up from there. And of course, that shifts month to month. Oh, new yeah. things come in and whatever. But... We felt like it's the kind of what we hope is it's the Spotify model done right uh, and not screwing over the musicians in quite the way that I think uh, can occasionally happen. Yes. No, it's true. Like, uh, why not? You should get paid for performance. That's how I think everything should always be. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, if you're sh- I, not to say that people's stuff sucks, but if you don't touch base with someone and no one wants to read it, why should you get paid for yes. it? Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And look, and I think on the flip side of that is it's, we see that with the writer's guild strike in Hollywood right now, it's, yeah. you know, these people who are creating all this incredible material that fans love, yeah, they should fucking well get paid for it and they should get paid really well for it because it takes a lot of skill to do that stuff. Really well, you know? And I'm not a writer's guild member, I'm a director's guild member, but I, I fully, fully, fully support what they're fighting for. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, exactly. Yeah, no kidding. And again, we're going to get into movies and TVs later, and we're going to talk about writers and what makes a show a show is the writers. Like, for example, like I want to touch on Succession and what that show means without having a good writer behind. Like, you know what I mean? So, no, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. Okay, so but so you have original content. You have people submitting stuff. Do you want to ever work in conjunction with other IPs or franchises eventually? Absolutely. So, great question, and it's something that we're actively pursuing right now. Okay. So, we're looking at how do we license other other content, how do we work with other brands, how do we take what they're doing and, right. and do something interesting and, and novel with it. And then we're also doing some really interesting stuff in the in the Web three space with this um, kind of community storytelling IP that we're we're developing as well. And that's been incredibly exciting, taking novice writers, pairing them with established comics artists and getting this kind of incredible array of of material produced from that, uh, which is really cool. Really, really cool. I I didn't even ask, when did you guys actually launch the, the Microverse? 
So we launched the plat the web two, the plat Stanley app basically mm-hmm. has was been around for almost three years now. Um, okay, we've been, been out for a little while. Um, then we kind of re-engineered stuff with some Web3 tooling uh, starting about a year and a half ago. Um, but we've always kept the app going and we're kind of refocusing on that um, in the last couple of months as a way of really expanding what, just, just again, reaching more people and getting more people excited about what we're doing. Exactly. And I took a quick peek on the app myself and nice and clean. Like, again, you could tell as soon as you said that your partner was into graphic design and all this stuff. <laughs> now it totally makes sense because it's like I said, everything's so clean. Everything's so easy to search through. Like, you know what I mean? It looks nice. Yes, that's great. Thank you. That's great to hear. I will tell him that because he he, it's, he needs to hear that stuff. It's, you know, the other thing that he did, because our third partner is a is called Ricky Ricavino and he came out of uh, gaming. Okay. And he... He and Evan worked together on the kind of UI UX front mm. for a bunch of mobile games. And so I think there is a degree of polish and professionalism that, that Evan specifically, but the two of them together are able to bring to this thing that God knows is beyond anything that I could pull off. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned it too, the sky's the limit. Like in terms of sky's the limit, what do you mean? Are you going to have like people submitting like music on there, videos, video games maybe? Like what, what, what's going on? Can you tip your hat on uh, anything? <laughs> do you know? Yeah, you're asking some very good questions. Um, so, so here's the thing. Yes, yeah, so gaming is part of the future for sure. I'm okay. not sure that that will happen through the app itself. Oh. However... And gaming as an extension of successful series that we produce, oh, 100%. I like that. So I think that's part of what, the part of the reason we gravitated towards comics was feeling like this is this way of testing ideas, seeing what resonates with fans, what do people like, what are, what are they reacting to, how does this work? Great, this idea is taking off, fantastic. Well, A, we can do multiple series, you know, multiple seasons of a series, of a right. comic series based on this, but... How do we then take that? What do we do as the video game version? What do we do as the animated version? What do we pitch as the live action? You know, we kind of think about things as being really multi-platform in a funny way. So it's like, okay, you love you you like reading this comic. Well, is the TV show just the adaptation of that, or is it actually a whole different thing that maybe explores another part of this world? Is the video game are we retelling that story? Probably not. Why don't we explore something different with the game version? And so that's part of how we approach things is trying to fill in, you know, if there's kind of a map of, of any one world, kind of story world, mm-hmm. well, great. What fills in the different segments? So if the comic series is this, maybe the live action series is this, maybe the TV show is this, maybe oh. the game is this. You know, we, we try and approach things from that perspective as much as possible. Well, and it makes sense because you have it in the title verse, so it must be some kind of multiverse where everything is sort of connected in one way or the other, right? Totally makes sense. Thank you. Yes, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad it makes sense. It makes sense to us. It's always nice to hear that it works for other people. Now, an interesting note here. How about the licensing fact? Because this is what always screws me in a lot of things. Like when someone creates something, puts it on a platform, either A, one way loses the licensing or B, it goes the other way or it just gets lost in the shuffle because now no one owns the rights to it. So we lose a nice piece of good technology or property or whatever it is. How does it work with you guys? Um, So we keep it very, very clean. So let's say you have a series that you've already produced that's your thing It's uh, and we just adapt it for our app. You own that thing 100%. We simply uh-huh. sign a licensing deal with you. So we okay. don't own 
any of it. We don't lay claim to the IP. It's right. your baby. We just act as distributors, and then we divide the revenue up, as, as I talked about before. Um, if we end up partnering on something, so it's like, great, you're a fantastic artist. You've got the series, but you need some funding. You need some this. Well, then, great, that kind of melds the... The, the ownership a little bit more so that then it's like great now we're truly partners on this thing so right. we typically then split those things 50 50 so Makes sense, you yeah. own that but we're putting this in we're handling distribution we're trying to sell this out into the upper you know, the, the, the greater entertainment landscape that then is a partnership more than a straight licensing thing so that's just a slightly different appeal um but again we always maintain kind of revenue share and revenue split with the original creator. So we always want to make sure that they are taken care of first and foremost. It almost sounds too good to be true. Like why can't every business be run like this? Like it's right there. Like everyone would be happier. Everyone still makes money. Like, I don't. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's funny because I've got, you know, I've been around Hollywood enough and it's like, I've got friends of mine who have been writers on significant shows and have ended up suing studios for, A lot of money right. simply because the studios play games with the with the revenue. That's what I and mean. It's like, well, no, it should be really clean. <sighs> you wrote this thing; it's doing really well. Let let you get paid for that. Thank um, you. And yet, somehow, of course, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll end on this before we get back into movies. Then, if you guys open up a podcast division, you got my email. I want to be first on in line. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Excellent! 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 Love it. Yeah, no, it's very funny because we've been talking about we. Ed and I had a podcast for a while. It's okay. past, like, napping about stuff, right? But, yeah, yeah. It's um, something we want to get back into because I think it's, yeah, it's we do, uh, you know, live streams every week on our Discord with our community. We've got nice. a bunch of kind of talented storytellers that we're building on there. We do some work with other projects where we go and we teach storytelling and then we green light stories from the community. Um, so, but, yeah, 100%, we would, I would love to do that. All right, my friend. I have to know Transformers. <laughs> like yes. this, easily my top, if not top three favorite IPs or franchises. When I was a child, it was probably between that GI Joe and Thundercats. Those are probably like my oh. top three. So Excellent. to see when the Transformers live action movie actually came out, oh my! And uh, to me, it did fan service. I know they tweaked a little bit of things here and there. You can't have it exact. But I think the fan service was great. Like, you still had the original Optimus Prime voice. Like, come on. Like, yep. So, how did all this fall into your lap? How did you get involved with it? And obviously, how was it being on set and wor- working with Michael Bay himself? Oh, my God. Um, so, I, I mean, first and foremost, I would say, like, of the ten best times I've had on set ever in my career, five of those were on that. Oh, movie. that's awesome. Um, and, you know, of the five most difficult times I've had in my, of, of the ten most difficult times I've had in my career, probably five of those were on that movie. Like, it was, I was the second, second AD, so I was, you know, on set, standing right by Michael the whole time, wow. right from the first AD, setting basically all the background. Um, you know, we actually, what happened? I think they were shooting for a couple of weeks, and had lost they lost like their second or their key second ad quit and the second second went with them okay. and someone that i was second ADing for got one of those positions and so literally i got a call at like 7 a.m on a monday morning which was hey could you be in pasadena in 45 minutes wow we need a second second ad we're <laughs> shooting at a, at a we're shooting at a used car lot um it could be a job for five months. It could be 
two days while we figure something else out. Right. But can you get it? I was like, yes, it got up, drove over there. And it was the scene with Bernie Mac where he's selling Bumblebee for the first time, right? right. So what content? I, they're already. I'm like, I have. I don't know anybody here. I'm like, hi, Bernie. I'm Adam. The first idea is like, make sure someone's fucking moving in the back of every single shot. I'm okay. Like, yes, sir. Okay. So like, and then and then we did like the whole thing with the where Bumblebee blows the cars up and the glass goes everywhere and the whole thing. Right. And um, I had been a fan of Michael Bay's for a, for a, several movies before that, like, uh, and so. Sure just watching him work I was like this is really cool like kind of annoying this and then yeah. it kind of extended and then he yelled at me for the first time I was like alright I'm really scared right now um, but then I think I I took it and I learned from it and and it just it was one of those things that just kind of snowballed we yeah. had a fantastic team because, you know it was just a great it was an amazing experience and what, it was funny because I think I had not been a fan of Transformers when I started it. Like I, I was, really? I didn't love the series. I hadn't played with the toys. Okay. And then I saw the first few designs for the characters, uh-huh. and I was just like, "Holy shit, that's awesome!" Like that's right. terrifying and cool. And I think we started off, as I recall, we started with, yeah, we did the Bernie Mac Bumblebee buying, and then I think we went into when the cop car is like chasing Shire and it's like gunning at him under the overpass at yes, the beginning. Yes. And we had all this like cool attachments on the car. Like, so, and it was this real combination of this digital stuff with this practical effects. With it. And I was just like, this, I think this movie is going to rock. Like I just, I was, <laughs> I was in. And then it extended. And then I, I, I got along well off with everyone and it just settled into a groove and I was right. there for the remaining five months of the movie and awesome. and uh, H learned a huge amount um, I was you know the way we did the Transformers is we had mm-hmm. these you know like the pool cleaning poles with the net on them right you yeah. can kind of extend them exactly so we had those except we had the faces for the Autobots or the or the or the uh, um, or the Decepticons on them, uh-huh. and so like all right, we had these things marked. It was like all right, Bumblebee is uh, fourteen feet high, so like you'd have the Bumblebee one, you'd extend it out, and they're like, yeah. right, and so there was me and like three PAs walking <laughs> around, That's and so like, cool. like all right, Bumblebee goes over there, and then like lean down and shy, talk to shy, so I'd be like, oh. and it's like all right, Bumblebee comes like like you know kind of folding down and transitioning. So, like, if you look at the raw footage, wow. I get a ton of that stuff That's holding so cool. this fucking pool cleaning pole with a face on it, right? And then they worked magic on that stuff after the fact. And it was yeah, wow. it was incredible. I mean, weeks spent filming that final battle, nights weeks. spent. It was wow. just spectacular. Just spectacular. Um, and again, you could tell, to, I, not, not to blow smoke up your ass, but it's still my favorite Transformers movie still to this day. I haven't watched the most recent yeah. one. That one's getting a lot of yeah. good praises too. But yeah. out of all of them, that was to me the favorite one. Because again, it introduced them. Like it had Optimus Prime, it had Megatron. Like what else do you, Bumblebee, uh, except tweaked. That was my only thing. I wanted Bumblebee yeah. to talk. I really didn't like the whole <sighs> stereotype of thing. Because again, I'm, I like true to the actual IP sometimes. But you know what? If that's the only thing I got to complain about, that's the only thing I got to complain about. But if you weren't a Transformers fan, what were you a fan of then in the 80s? So I love, I mean, Star Wars, Star Wars, okay. first of all, yeah. like, I mean, you Me can't too, of course. Right. Like, That's my the best. first 
my mom took me to see Star Wars in the theaters when I was four, I guess, three maybe. Like wow. I remember going to be going to see, the first movie I saw in the theaters. Yeah, I remember being scared shitless <laughs> by the monster in the track trash compactor. Yeah. Like terrified, terrified me. And then I remember so clearly going back to both Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi, oh, yeah, like at the Odeon Theater in Leicester Square in London, like going on oh. a weeknight to see it with my brothers. And it just, the impact of that was colossal. Like I loved, 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 loved that movie. And uh, I mean, I, you know, collected the toys. And it was one of the, I've got, You'll get a kick out of this, right? So mm. I did this show called The Neighbors uh, on ABC. It was a comedy series 12 years ago now, maybe. But the finale of season one, okay. we had Mark Hamill and George Takai come in Shut together up. on set together. I really don't get starstruck anymore. Like right. it's, it's happened to me a couple of times in my life. Okay. I could barely speak talking to Mark Hamill because I had to call him to give him his 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 uh, full time yeah. as a second AD on the show and I like I call I dial his number and he goes hello I'm like hi Mr. Hamill we got Martin here I'm the second AD on the neighbors blah 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 and I was very professional very good great yes of yeah. course I'll see you tomorrow I'm so excited really glad I'm coming in and I hang up and I make sure I'm hanging up and I look up and I go oh. <laughs> it was I, I was unbelievably excited it was and he was delightful george takai delightful i just <laughs> one of those one of those unique special moments that right? one gets doing doing this job for as long as i've done it. oh that is so cool see because that's what i enjoy about this the most when people are like oh but why do you do it if you're not making money and i'm like the relationships and the people i get to meet the stories and the yes. behind the scenes stuff that no one even knows about because again right. i don't want to go blurbing about people's lives and whatnot and this and that like you know what i mean like but how, how about this is there anyone that would starstruck you because i'm like you i still have not encountered anyone where i just dropped my jaw and i couldn't speak and that has not happened yet to me yet so i don't know how that's, that feels like uh, that's awesome i mean so no mark hamill in, now look my first ever movie it was this runaway car, right? Terrible movie, but Judge okay. Reinhold was in it. Remember him from like Beverly Hills Cop? Oh yeah, yeah. So, like, he was my he was my first like. Wait, I remember your movies when I was a kid. Like there was that moment, and it was my first time on set. So I was like, "This is so awesome! I'm so excited to meet you!" Like so, but it wasn't. So I was like starstruck, but it was like I just didn't, I just didn't know any better. Sure. Um, but so since then, so yeah, Mark Hamill was a huge one. Like I just uh, that blew me away. And then the other time that it really hit me, we, I, uh, lucked into, again, so lucky throughout my career, there was a, it was when 3D cameras were really hot and Metallica were doing a, Ooh. they wanted to do a 3D movie, it was like going to be this cool concert thing, blah, 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 but basically we went up, so they were rehearsing for a concert, so went up to San Francisco for two days of Metallica rehearsing this concert. And they did the whole set in one day. And we had three 3D camera rigs and we just like filmed this. And then the second day they came back and we shot, I think, five different songs or four different songs. Oh, wow. And we okay. really like covered the songs using these 3D camera rigs because we wanted to get a feel for it. Sure. And I mean, I had been a Metallica fan since I was 14. And so meeting James Hetfield and meeting Kirk Hammett, again, I, I was professional, but I could barely speak for excitement. Like I was just like, "This is the greatest day of my life," and uh, 
I did take like one of uh, 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 James's uh, picks, guitar picks. Oh, cool! Like they were they were like lying around the stage. And I was like, well, no one else is going to take this. <laughs> I cracked it and took it over me. Uh, so yeah, I would say those two times the other biggies. That was they were awesome. And now thinking, I don't because to me, acting whatever that that never like made me starstruck. I think more musicians and people in the music industry, like yes. for some odd reason people gravitate towards them and make them icons and above, like, bigger than life. Like, look at, like, the Madonnas. Well, Michael Jackson, not so much because he's passed, but, like, and how you mentioned Metallica. So now thinking of it, when you mentioned that, I think I would be starstruck because I grew up on his shit would be Eminem. Like, his music to me was so influential. And, like, you know what I mean? So if I think if I saw him walking out or if he was to talk to me, I would literally be like, uh... uh, But other than that, I can't think of anything, though. You feel like you wouldn't, so you feel like you wouldn't get hit by too many others? I don't think so, because again, I've gotten to talk to some, again, not to blow my own horn, but some, you know, pretty oh, cool people in, in the industry here on the show, and even through them, I got to meet cool people behind stage, and like, I go to like comedy shows, and this, this, and that, so I get to meet some people, right? So, right, yeah. it's like, I never was like, oh, whatever, it's always same level type of thing, like, I, yeah. like, I try not to yeah. put people on a pedestal. Maybe it's my own thing because then it seems like I'm like a true fanboy, and I never want someone to feel uncomfortable in a conversation. Like you know, what I, mean? I don't want them to seem like I'm only your friend because I'm a fanboy type of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. And that's the tricky thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, well, I think, and especially, it's. I think the relationship is different when it's you're the interviewer and it's your show. Like you, you have that different dynamic between people whereas sure. for me it's you know as an assistant director as a sex certainly as a second assistant even as a first it's i'm there to serve the greater show like gotcha. my job is to serve this thing yeah. and so the dynamic is a little bit different i think anyway it's, it's a little more one-sided um not that i tolerate people putting <laughs> being stupid or stuff but it's right. like there is that there is that bit of that there is more of that hierarchical uh setup fundamentally you know no and that makes complete sense of course okay another favorite movie of mine that you worked on Step Brothers. going from one extreme to the other you go from action to pure hilarious comedy okay yes i this i love this movie made me laugh so hard now being it this being a comedy what was so different being on set on a comedy versus being on a set from action so it's, you know, that's a great question, and it's it's something that I, I again, feel very fortunate to have kind of bridged um, both different ways. So Step Brothers, I, it's funny because people love that movie, um, and um, I only was on it for a couple of days. Like, I was the oh, second AD. Okay. I only came in for a couple of days because we were filming, it was the... There was like a, the, the talent show sequence, basically. Gotcha. And so there was a bunch of extras and we needed people. And I was good with crowds. So I kind of came in around it. Okay, okay. Um, and, but that was my first taste of comedy, like true comedy. Because right. I kind of drama up until, drama rash up until that point. And what I loved about it, what grabbed me about that was the way like Will Ferrell and Adam <laughs> McKay and all these guys were like playing with, let me take this and let me play with this. Let me do this thing. Let me try this variation. Let me try this. And ah. I had seen some of it on Transformers. And I think it's one okay. of those things that Michael Bay doesn't get uh, as much credit for as he should do. His comedic instincts are fucking fantastic. So if you remember in the original Transformers, there was that sequence where 
like Michaela's in Sam's room and they're looking for the thing and the robots are outside mm -hmm. and the parents are like knocking on yes. his door and they're like, do you think that he's masturbating? <laughs> and right. they're like, they come in and it's like this whole thing about like, are you masturbating? We, we didn't have to call it that. Like, it's Sam's happy alone time. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And like, we, we ended up reshooting that scene over like three nights because Michael would come in and be like, hey, I had this really cool idea. Okay. What if you guys did this? And then the actors would play with it and he cast them well and uh, Shia was fantastic and the parents were amazing and they just played and played and played. And that's still to me one of my favorite scenes from that movie mm. because it's pure comedy <laughs> and it evolved on the set in that time. So I think I'd seen that and be like, oh wait, this is really fun, I love this. And there's right. not the stakes of like, if I screw this up, someone's gonna die because there's an explosion or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so then Step Brothers was awesome because I just got to see it like again, that, that kind of thing evolve. And then it was really, it was The Neighbors, this show, this, this ABC show, The Neighbors, that was my first like pure comedy TV show. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with comedy at that point. Like, wait, oh, awesome. I, 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 being on a show, if I'm gonna be here, if I'm gonna be somewhere 14 hours a day, being somewhere where the whole point of something is to make us laugh, that's where I wanna be. Right? Um, and then that led from like that to, I mean, a, just a bunch of great comedy stuff. And then I was, again, fortunate enough to come out of those and I got hooked up with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg on Future Man, nice. which combined action and comedy. Yeah. And I was like, this is my sweet spot. Like, I love everything about this. We're shooting crazy movie-scale action and I'm trying not to cry with laughter behind the monitors, like, doing this stuff. And then that led to Dave and Barry. And like, so, you know, I just, again, incredibly fortunate to be playing and to be playing with people where it is the best idea wins and so that mm. was the big thing i think there are some obviously you get like and you get people who are very like no it's <clears throat> got to be this and this is the way to do it right but like seth and evan you know you came up with a good idea for a line or a shot or something it was like oh yeah no that's great say this hey you guys try this adam had this good idea or this this pa had this funny idea or whatever right. like it was this this they knew exactly what they were going for, but then if you could plus that up in any way, shape, or form, they were gung ho for it, and they would they would do it. And then That's I did awesome. future, I did future Man with them, and then I did Black Monday with them on Showtime as well. Okay, and that was like Don Cheadle and Regina Hall. I, I just fucking magic every time they're on camera, and both of them were like wow. they could nail the drama. And dear God, they could nail the comedy and like Cheadle keeping up. And then Paul Shear was on that. Adam, uh, Andrew Reynolds. Shear is just one of my favorite people in the world. Like again, I like, just love him. <laughs> Fantastic dramatic actor. And then A, he's lovely and one of the funniest people you'll ever be on set with. Um, just incredible. Just incredible. So again, Blessed, 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 beyond belief. No, that's so awesome to hear. And yes, comedy is to me my constant in my life. Like, I have to have comedy in a little bit of everything. Like, I don't, like, even this podcast, it's labeled as a comedy podcast, but it's not like I'm cracking jokes or, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I do have comedians on, but it's because it's lighthearted and I swear yeah. and, you know, a bit of wittiness here and there. Like, like, like you said, like, what, how boring would life be without a little bit of improvisation? Like, you know what I mean? And I think yes. that's the beauty of comedy. And, and also, there's, there should be no restrictions on comedy if it's meant in a good way. Like, you know what I mean? Because comedy yes. is comedy. You know what you're getting yourself into. You know what you're going to watch. Let it go. If you don't want to be laughing, then go watch something else, right? 
A hundred percent. No, I think I yes, yes, a hundred percent. Like I feel it's comedy is at its best when it is pushing buttons and pushing boundaries. And that's not to say that you are poking fun at the Thank you. of your thing, right? Exactly. It's, but if you are commenting on the situation that people find themselves in, but you're doing that in a risky manner, that that's the prime position. So it's like yeah, you come up and you make jokes about black people or Jews or disabled, like, like any of the stupid stereotypical shit that, right. that white comedians have done for decades, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, no, you know what? You deserve every bit of flack you're getting, but you can come up and you can make a joke that's commenting on the racial disparities of this, that, and the other, that is still pushing people's buttons and is not easy to listen to, but is fundamentally, is it, it yeah, is not, is, is not, being derogatory about the subject itself. And I think that's, sometimes we lose track of that in the comedy world. It's so true. And I think, and it doesn't matter to me if it's the goriest of gory films, if it's the most serious film, sprinkle in a little bit. Like, it doesn't have to be throughout the whole movie. Like, my favorite horror genre, uh, like, horror franchise is Nightmare on Elm Street because of how funny Freddy (laughs) is. Like, you know what I mean? He always had, like, a comment. He always did funny stuff. Like, and same thing with, like, drama. I like dramedies. I don't like your pure drama. Like, I don't watch any of, like, the L.A. Laws of this world, CSIs, because I don't find any comedy in that. But you put on something like Succession. You put on something like anything else that's pretty much on HBO nowadays. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh, my goodness. Well, Succession is a perfect example, right? So my wife is an actress, and she's, like, serious, Shakespearean-trained, dramatic actress. Like, really, she's seriously talented. (laughs) And she saw Succession before I did. So she watched it earlier than me. And she was just raving on the show. It's an amazing drama, and the performance is incredible. And so finally I started watching it, and I was just (laughs) laughing constantly. And then you get that painful... and then, like, after episode, like, half of the episode two, I was like, wait, she's interpreting this as a drama. It's not. It's a <laughs> comedy. It's a black comedy with incredible dramatic elements. And, like, yes. it's, it's this perfect balance of the two, but fundamentally it's a black comedy. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, from then, yeah. And once I made that mental shift, I was like, oh, no, I'm completely in. This is incredible. I think Barry did a similarly brilliant job in its last couple go. of seasons of, it is as dark and tough as it gets to watch at times mm-hmm. and then laugh out loud funny. Um, and that's the combination. And Bill Hader is a genius and Alec Berg is one of the most, one of the smartest writers I've ever worked with. I mean, he's an absolute genius. Is that the same um, Alec Berg that worked? Is, is it the same Alec Berg that worked on Seinfeld? Yep. Oh shit. He's still around he's writing. Still Good for him. He started on Seinfeld. Yeah. He, he was one of the co-creators on uh, Silicon Valley. So he did seven, seven seasons, six seasons in there. I mean, and I was, so when I interviewed for Barry, like it was yeah. a slightly weird situation, but like I was a rabid Silicon Valley fan. I knew who Alec was, but I didn't. Right. And so I interviewed and he was directing. So I did Barry season three. I think he was directing three episodes. Bill was directing five. And it was last minute, like the first DVD they had had just dropped out. And, and so I'm Zooming. I live in Panama. And I was zooming with Alec, and I was just like, <laughs> in that situation, where I'm like, at some point in there, I can't remember what it was. But I was like, all right, I, I, I it was the end. I was like, look, I have to, I have to say this in case, like, hopefully we get to work together. But I happen to say I'm a huge fan of yours. I don't want that to come across as obsequious. Like, I'm not being a Tony. <laughs> I'm just a huge fan. So, I, whatever happens, I really appreciate the chance of me 
and he he and I have stayed in touch. Like he's he is he he is a he is an absolute genius. He is completely brilliant. Um, and that was one of those shows where I learned like every day I was on that set. I learned from him and I learned from Bill Hader. Um, just, just incredible. Just incredible. Oh my God. Yeah. Because I, I'm a huge Seinfeld guy. Like to me, top three, another one of all time for me. Like, uh, and if people are Seinfeld fans, actually, cheap plug, go back. I had the composer of Seinfeld on, Jonathan, Jonathan Wolf. So go back to listen to that previous episode where we run nice. down how we came up with some of the music, the tracks, working with Seinfeld, all that fun stuff. Larry David too. There's some fun stories in there. So go back and check out that episode if you want. Yeah. But oh my God. Okay. Well, you said it again, having creative control, doing stuff on your own when it's comedy. Now, was there ever a time where, again, you're watching the director do his thing and you're like, ooh, I would have done it this way. And did you ever confront anyone with, with, your, with your thoughts? A hundred percent. So I think that's, um, you know, you gauge it, right? So I think as a first AD, another British first AD chap that I knew, he said it best. He said, when you're the first AD, you're like the butler. You're always at the party, but you're oh. never invited. <laughs> um, and that was kind of wounding, but very true yeah. at the same time. Um, however, again, lucky enough to be in situations where people, I think, want to establish that little bit of trust. And they okay. really, you know, the director you're working with realizes, all right, you're not just a, a scheduler. You're not just a mechanic. You've got intelligence. You've got some comedic chops. You've got to work. So hopefully you establish some of that rapport in pre-production so that by the time you hit set, you're able to say, hey, by the way, do you feel like you need this shot? Or having seen this performance, it feels like, do you want this shot from over here? Because that would capture oh. this look for this. Okay. And and sometimes the director will say, you know, I really don't. I feel like that plays in the wide, in which case, Godspeed, no problem at all. But a bunch of times, once you've got that relationship, like, you know what? Yeah, that's a good point. Let me think about that. Or you're blocking a scene out and you're like, do they need to turn this way? Do you feel like actually it'd be this? Mm. Hopefully you've had those conversations in pre-production again where it's like, okay, you're, what does this scene mean? What does it do? You could play it this way. What is it? And then for a first AD, because schedule is always in the back of our heads, right? Fundamentally, we are responsible for like making our days. Gotcha. What I always try and do at the first is I'll structure our days so that it's a simpler scene towards the end of the day. So, and I know in the back of my mind, I've thought about how I could block that scene out and how I could shoot it okay. in like two camera setups. Wow. So that if we're totally fucked and I thought we had two and a half hours for this and we have one hour and the sun's setting and the blah, 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 like, great. Yes, you had this elaborate plan for this. We cannot do that anymore. If we did this, this, and this, we can shoot it like this. And then that gets everything we need. And, you know, sometimes you have to rely on that. More often than not, they're like, yes, you know, we could actually do this. And then let me just get this one other thing from over here. And then, so it becomes that conversation. But so I think that that a good first will always be able to bridge that gap between the creative and, mm. the, and the logistical. You know what I mean? So you yeah, can makes speak to both sides of that and juggle both of those balls. No, and that's good to hear because, again, I'm thinking of more of the olden days when it was like, old school where if you're in charge and you it's that person's way and you can't say shit because what do you know you know you got to pay your dues type of thing but it's good to know that it's a team base now even though it is the director's show it still relies on his team members right oh yeah exactly and look i mean yeah, yeah, look you work with transformers it's like every single shot in that movie 
comes from Michael. Of course. Every, every single thing, every insect. So there may be four units running, and we're all shooting different things, but he is coming to every single one. He's like, no, this is the shot, and you're doing this. And, you know, every now and then, there would be, he'd be like, would it be cool if we did this? And you could be like, yeah, it could be. And then you'd be like, great, we're going to do this. Like, there'd be that little bit of a direct, but fundamentally, like, it's his show, it's his movie, he knows yeah. exactly. John Frankenheimer, very, very similar. Mm. Like, he knew exactly what he wanted. He was okay. a level of performance up, which was incredible. Like, he would, I remember watching the last, because I did his last movie, it was called uh, Path to War, it's an HBO film. Okay. It was about the LBJ presidency. Okay. And we had Michael, Michael Gambon was LBJ, Donald Sutherland, I can't remember what he was now. He was his like one of his principal advisors. Okay. Alec Baldwin played McNamara. Like Gary Sinise was George. Oh like, wow! Crazy, amazing yeah. cast, right? And we were shooting the scene between Michael Gambon and Donald Sutherland. Okay. And we had shot the wide, totally fine. We shot the coverage one way. We turned around, and I remember I was just a PA on that movie, and I remember I was just close enough that John came up to Michael and he said look, I'm so sorry, but I changed Donald's performance mm. during this because I felt like he found something. So I need to shoot your coverage again so that you're matching what he's doing oh, wow. because what you did before wouldn't cut properly with this. And Michael was, of course, like, totally get it. Of course, of course, happy to do that. But that, that degree of character, mm. understanding and nuance and brilliant, like, that was one of those moments where I was just like, I... Yeah, you're, you're a genius like this is incredible <laughs> my goodness well again and that's why they are what they are and they do what they do right exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh okay so how about this what's the biggest difference between tv versus movies on set interesting um there is a undoubtedly there is a pace to tv that you know, there's a kind of relentlessness to the pace of TV. Oh, okay. And I think you get a bit more space on movies, depending on what level they're at, of course. Okay. But it's like, all right, if I look at, you know, if I think back to, so Black Monday for Showtime, um, we had five days an episode to shoot that. And it was oh. one to look cinematic. It was a period show, you know, Don Cheadle, Regina Hall, Paul Shear, Andrew, like, movie stars of this yeah. thing. Um, and we wanted it to feel cinematic. We wanted to have a vibe to it. But we had five days to get through 30 pages of dialogue, right? Crazy. So fundamentally, if you're not shooting six pages a day, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, that takes a lot from the actors, that takes a lot from the crew, that's like, that's a demanding schedule. Of course. Um, so I've certainly seen actors coming from movies where they're used to doing two pages a day, two and three oh, pages a day. Okay, okay. Suddenly they're working on a TV schedule, <laughs> and they may be fantastic, but like, holy shit, I've got to memorize another six pages tomorrow? Like, right. that's, that's not easy. Like, and... To take nothing away from 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 the actors, though, you know, from any of them, it's right. like. But that's a that is certainly a hard adjustment, and it makes me respect people like Cheadle all the more because he's able to go and do Avengers. We're like, yeah, great, we're going to shoot these five shots today, and it's this flying thing, and it's this huge thing, and then he will come in and nail every single word on the rehearsal of like a five page scene, wow. and you're like, you're a genius, <laughs> <laughs> right? Jesus. Now, if you had a choice, gun to your head, 
Movies or TV, yeah. my friend? Wow, that's tough. Um, it has to be said, my first love is movies. Okay, uh, that's fair. I Even now, I, though? Because I think the landscape has changed. Oh, it, it totally has. And that's why, you know, it's a great question and it's so hard. Um, I think... I think the best TV is, by and large, better than the best movies now. Yes. Absolutely. I agree. And I think TV is able to do things that movies are not able to do, especially with character progression. Yes, thank Um, you. And to me, like, if I look back at my favorite, there are very few episodes of television that I will rewatch. Oh, okay. Whereas I have seen Seven Samurai is my favorite movie. Okay. I've seen that 10, 15 times. <laughs> right. I'd say the same for the Star Wars is. Yes. The Godfather is the same thing. There you go. Fight Club is the same oh, thing. Oh, yep. Mad Max, good. like Fury Road is the same thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro, the Miyazaki movie. I've seen that more times. Like, the, and so I think for me that's the. And TV wise, like, there's a couple of episodes of Attack on Titan that I've seen numerous times because they're just brilliant. Right. There's episodes of Game of Thrones that I've seen numerous times because they're brilliant. A couple of like so those things exist, but right. for me they're rarer than this like perfectly encapsulated two hours of cinema. Right. There's something to me about that that is it's perfect in a way that that ten episodes of television can also be perfect, but the the con- the the, con- the, con- the condensation is wrong, but the fact that it's that is condensed into a two to a half hour time frame, to me just 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 takes the takes the takes the pie. And you, you know what? That so makes sense because I would prefer to watch a TV series, but to rewatch, I'll go back and watch a movie. Like for example, I will. I don't think I'll ever go back and watch any season of The Mandalorian again. Do I think it's the greatest shit since sliced bread? Of course. But I'll go back and watch episode four plenty of times, Empire Strikes Back, than anything else. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So it makes right. sense. How many, right. How many times have you seen the half sequence on Empire Strikes Back? Oh, right? like, Who knows, man? 40, 50 times? Right? I mean, right, yes. But, but I, exactly, exactly. I totally agree. And I think it's, and it's the tricky thing, because there's so much, I mean, we are in truly in the Pratt major television, right? Like there's so much incredible TV out there and it's almost like we're so spoiled for choice. That That's it, what it is. Any, no matter how brilliant any one piece is, it's getting supplanted immediately because there's this next brilliant piece of television coming along. Um, and I think television is brilliant now in a way that movies tend not to be like, I, it's like I'm having a hard time thinking back to what my last, like, this movie is brilliant kind of experience was. Yes, um, I agree. You know, whereas TV, there's a bunch of it. Like, oh, that was just, look, like you talk about the succession, like succession, like that final season of succession, Whew. absolutely brilliant every step of the way. The Last of Us. Thank you, another one. pilot was by far the weakest episode. Like, right? I enjoyed the pilot <laughs> and it just got better and better and better and better and better. So now I'm like, how the hell did he do that? Craig Mason, the fact that he did Chernobyl before that, it, mm-hmm. like HBO, and I just finished Winning Time, season one, kind of getting ready oh, for season two. Like, another great in, series. Like, just incredible stuff. Just incredible. Um, yes. Well, and it then, shows, and that's yeah, why like, they have. Some turned me on to Attack on Titan. Like, I don't know if you're an anime fan, but. No, not like, at all, unfortunately. Attack on Titan, Jujutsu Kaisen, there's a couple of these things, but like, 
Attack on Titan now has been going on for, I think we're in season, end of season four. Like there's one other okay. movie coming, basically. It is flawless filmmaking on a Game of Thrones scale. And the character progression and the action, like wow. everything about that is just spectacular. And it was my 14-year-old son. It was like, Dad, trust me, you've got to watch the show. Like, you'll really <laughs> like it. <laughs> I know, yeah, you named a bunch of great shows there, and it, oddly enough, all HBO, and that's, I don't know if you heard, uh, uh, as of today, the Emmy Awards came out, or the nominations, and HBO what? shows lead, like, they had, like, 70-something nominations, like, Succession alone, their top three actors, first time ever on a TV show, yes. nominated for the same category, how crazy is that? That's insane, I I actually didn't say, I, it's funny, because I, I was traveling today, yeah. so, like, I, I'm a little discombobulated, but, like, Oh, I, I've got to go and look at that. Because, yeah, I I did a pilot with Brian Cox, like, years ago. And he was slightly terrifying and absolutely brilliant. So I just, <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Adam, i got to have you back on again in the future because time's run out and we have so much more oh, to talk yes. about, of course. But plug your socials, your projects, anything you want to promote. Floor's all yours. Amazing. Thank you. I, no, such a pleasure. You're right. I forgot. Like, yeah, of course. We've been chatting for an hour now. That's crazy. Um, awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, we are um, Macroverse basically everywhere. So, Macroverse on Twitter. At Macroverse on Twitter. That's where a ton of our stuff comes out. Um, uh, Discord. We've got a bunch of stuff over there. It's discord.gg slash Macroverse. Um, and then our app. Like, if you want to come check that out, we have a free month uh Free, free, totally free trial. If you want to come do that, that is macroverse.world slash free month. And that'll, if you're iOS or Android, that'll give you the instructions on how to, how to build it. So come check it out. Um, check out what we've got going on. You love it. Stick around. Great. If you don't, uh, thank you so much for coming to play. Yeah. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Oh, and actually now, because it's all in the, Rage, we are also on threads, so you can follow me on threads hey. <laughs> at Finger Styles. So you can also email me your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast dap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show, support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. And please, most importantly, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. All right, one last thing before I let you go, I gotta ask you since you are from Hollywood, as a consumer myself, I brought this up on last week's episode. Is there a consensus now that the Marvel Universe, the comic book universe in Hollywood is starting to get a bit stale? <laughs> uh, I think undoubtedly the, 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 yes, the comic book of it all is getting a bit old. I think in terms of the superhero, like these big tentpole superhero movies, I think are becoming repetitive and... I think it's harder and harder to find new things to say in new and interesting ways. I think the flip side of that are shows like, frankly, The Boys is one of my favorite. Oh. It's probably my favorite TV show. Okay, It's obviously a superhero show, yeah. right? But it's a totally fucked up, totally twisted, dark and dirty version of that world. Invincible, I think, is the same thing. They both happen to be on, on Prime and they both happen to be Seth and Evan. <laughs> um, that's not a bias. I just happen to think that yeah, of course. Brilliant shows. Um, and so I think that's where you'll feel the comic book influence. And you've seen it in a bunch of different ways. But I think, yeah, these big tempoli movies, I, 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 I think they are encapsulating a challenge that Hollywood in general is having because they're going for like either these mega tempole 200, 300, 400 million dollar movies right. or 
it's these little low budget horrors and i feel like mm. we've lost some of the nuance in that in that conversation uh but so I, I yeah to answer your question i think yes there's some fatigue and hopefully that'll lead people into finding the more interesting grittier other cool stuff the one thing I'll, I'll leave it on this the one thing i hope does not happen because now it's all on the rage is the video game genre like you see the last of us the super mario brothers movie now you're starting to see a little upsurge in the video game i hope they don't do the same thing they did with superheroes and just flood the market now with nonsense from sony ips to nintendo ips microsoft might even like halo is out there now too right so so yeah. i hope they don't do that let's take it easy there's plenty of time like it's one thing at a time right baby steps as they exactly say. <laughs> just baby steps baby steps but I sadly, the cynical part of me says, "Yeah, they're going to probably screw it up." And they're oh, I know. Market thing and, and you know, you look at Uncharted that was just disastrous from beginning to end. And blah, blah, blah. I try not to talk about that, but anyways, <laughs> on that note, he's Adam. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>